and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I hope you are having a great day today. Um, there's uh, quite a few things to talk about, not a ton, but um, there's a lot of stuff going on. And I really don't understand all this stuff about um, the stocks. Uh, they're calling it an insurrection of the stock market. I really don't know enough about it to talk yet. It's still relatively new on my end. Maybe by the time you read this, there's a lot more going on about that. But my timeline on Twitter and Facebook has just been filled with a lot of stuff about Robin Hood and, and, and Reddit and GameStock and, and the AMC um, stock market and how hedge fund people are all upset and things. So I, I really don't know if enough about that, although I have, you know, this could become a big story, and so I hate to not bring it up and pretend like it's not happening, but I don't really know enough about that to have a, a, a real opinion, although um, I tend to, just a little bit that I've heard, tend to think that it's fine. I mean, I, I don't, I mean... I don't I don't see a problem. You know, they're always they're talking about how these average people are manipulating stocks and things. But I mean, our government does this all the time. Politicians are always manipulating stock. And so I don't understand why it's considered a stock market insurrection when average people do it. But when the government does it or Wall Street does it, it's perfectly fine. That's just capitalism. But like I said, I could be totally wrong about that. So. Um, I guess the other, I mean, the more local story or statewide is that the governor gave her state of the state address this week, and this is how uh, the AP is reporting it, an article by David Eggert, um, and it says that the GOP says no aid unless counties control school, sport, and sports closures. Um, already it's sounding like an anti-GOP article, but we'll press on and see. Uh, Michigan House Republicans on Wednesday proposed a $3.5 billion coronavirus recovery plan, but threatened to withhold billions to K-12 schools unless Governor Whitmer cedes her administration's power to prohibit in-person instruction and sports to local health departments. Senate Republicans, meanwhile, rejected 13 of the Democratic governor's nominees to state boards, lashing out over her continued unilateral issuing, issuing of COVID-19 restrictions. The state health department in November ordered a temporary ban on face-to-face -face learning in high schools to help curb a surge in virus cases, lifting it later. A, prohib a prohibition on youth contact sports remains while restaurants can resume indoor dining next week at 25% capacity and with a 10 p.m. curfew following a decline in new infectious infections and hospitalizations. Some Michigan school districts haven't had in-person classes since March. That's hurting kids in ways we can't even imagine, and not just academically. House Appropriations Committee Chairman Thomas Albert, a Lowell Republican, said in a statement, the disruption of sports and other extracurricular activities also takes a major toll. By law, K-12 districts and charter schools decide whether to allow in-person classes. 
Although the Democratic governor has strongly urged schools to offer face-to-face -face learning options by March 1st, House Republicans want to entice public schools by offering up to $250 per student in funding if they commit to reopening by February 15th. Many teachers have not yet been vaccinated, which could slow the return of in-person instruction. The House proposal came a week after Whitmer sent the Republican-controlled legislature a $5.6 billion relief plan that would use recently enacted federal aid and state funds. She highlighted the proposal in her annual State of the State address Wednesday night. The dueling plans have similarities, including another round of grants to help restaurants and other businesses devastated by the pandemic and related virus restrictions. The governor proposes quickly allocating $90 million in federal aid designated for the distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. Albert instead wants an initial $22 million distributed with the rest held in reserve until needed. The House GOP plan would not fund Whitmer's proposed renewal of an expired tax incentives program that was used to lure large-scale business app expansions. Whitmer spokesman, spokeswoman, excuse me, Tiffany Brown, said the governor was pleased to see GOP lawmakers embrace elements of her recovery plan, such as vaccine distribution, support for small businesses, and getting kids back into classrooms, but added this is not the time for partisan games. K-12 administrators said they appreciated Republicans' recognition of additional costs facing schools due to pandemic, yet they criticized linking funding to a bid to let local officials, not the state, decide about school and sports restrictions. Federal dollars for learning should not be used as a bargaining chip, said Tina Kerr, executive director of the Michigan Association of Superintendents and Administrators. A bipartisan vote of Congress sent $1.6 billion in aid to Michigan schools and district leaders need that money to be appropriated now without caveat or consideration of politics. Across the Capitol, Senate Democrats decried Republicans' decisions to block gubernatorial appointments to commissions, boards, and an agency. One nominee is Whitmer's deputy legal counsel, Susanna Shrekelly, who was poised to lead the Office of Ch Children's Ombudsman, which independently investigates complaints involving children who are under state oversight for reasons of abuse or neglect. It's not our job to play petty games just for the sake of flexing on the governor, especially while she's trying to get us through the tail end of a deadly pandemic with little to no help from you, Senate Minority Leader Jim Ananich of Flint told GOP senators who have opposed her calling her call to codify a mask mandate into law. But Republicans blame Whitmer for job losses and accused her of not wanting to work with the legislatures after the state Supreme Court deemed a law that underpinned, underpinned her emergency orders to be unconstitutional. We have this tool available to us, Senator Ken Horn of Frankenmuth said of disapproving nominees. We will continue to use the tools that we have to demonstrate to the governor that we are partners in this. We are a co-equal branch. Um, I guess it really, I, I got the wrong article. That, that, that one, I mean, it did briefly talk about the state of the state, but that wasn't the one I thought it was. But still, I agree. I agree with this, actually, um, that the... The local government should be making the decisions about the schools, about whether they should open in-person learning, whether they should 
have uh, sports again. Um, they're the closest to the people. And so they should be the ones who are making the decisions based on what is best for the people in that area. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I don't think Whitmer is all that great, but even if you do, she's not infallible. I don't know, you know, she's not, she's not godlike. Uh, she can't possibly know what's best for every single district, every single school district in every single county in Michigan. I mean, it's, it's just virtually impossible. So the people should be making that decision. And then there's also recourse. If, you know, if uh, let's say Grand Haven or Holland decides to reopen their school and, and it becomes dangerous, well, then the people have a recourse. They can recall or fire the members of the school board for opening the school too early. But it's really hard to do that for the governor because even if people of Grand Haven don't like the governor, well, in this case, people of Grand Haven are, are at least they used to be when I was growing up, more conservative anyway. West Michigan in general is more conservative. Um, they weren't planning to vote for her anyway. So, you know, it's not like not like she's going to learn a lesson, you know, like, oh, the people of West Michigan don't want to vote for me for re-election. Oh, big whoop. I didn't win them the first time either. And I still won the election. You know, so the people that live in this area are going to be they're going to make sure our schools are safe. They're going to make sure our kids are safe. They're not going to reopen recklessly. They're going to judge it. And they may decide to reopen. They may decide not to. But. The people there can hold them accountable because they're directly directly answerable to the people. So I'm all for um, governments closest to the people responding to uh, or, or yeah um, making decisions so that they can be held accountable. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it, it is interesting. I know um, this. I don't know if the article makes it sound this way or if this is just how I'm interpreting it, but I mean, it, it did make it sound like the article made it sound like the Republicans are holding funding hostage until the governor decides to see their way. But I don't know if that is an accurate um, analogy. I mean, I guess it could be. I mean, there's nothing wrong with with refusing you know, uh, basically shutting down government or things for things that you believe in and saying, we're not going to pass this until you do something about this problem. But it, it just sounds a little harsh to make it sound like they're hurting people for the so, you know, like this uh, uh, funding for those kids who are uh, under state oversight, you know, not giving them their money. It makes it sound like it's really cruel. In fact, that's what uh, the minority leader said. Um, it's not our job to play petty games um, just for the sake of flexing on the governor. So, you know, they're they're billing it and promoting it, or I guess spinning it would be a better way. They're spinning it to make it sound like children are going to be hurt or die because the Republicans are going are playing games, withholding funds. Um, I mean, it won't be long, I'm sure, before the Democrats claim that the Republicans are doing a quid pro quo. You know, we will release these funds if you give us what we want, which is what they uh, accused um, President Trump of doing in his first impeachment trial 
we'll release these funds to Ukraine if you get dirt <coughs> on Joe Biden or start an investigation or anything like that. So it won't be long before they're claiming that it's a quid pro quo. Um, they have uh, the Susanna Shrikeli um, is poised to lead the Office of Children's Ombudsman. Um, if any of you know what that means, I've heard that term in Chicago, they have ombudsman. I really don't know what that means. I don't know what that what that office does. I mean, they I've heard of that term before. I have no idea what it means. So if anyone has any idea, please feel free to comment and let me know what exactly that means or what that position is. Um, because we certainly don't have that around here where I live. I've not seen any position called an ombudsman. So anyway, so that threw me off. You might have heard me pause after I said that um, because it just I'm thinking, what on earth does that mean? Um, but um, yeah, uh, so about the state of the state, let me just say um, her main theme was unity. It kind of reminded me of in high school when uh, we would person would turn to another kid and say, can I copy your homework? And the person would say, yeah, but just don't make it too obvious. You know, so you'd have to make a few changes, maybe make some mistakes so that it doesn't become obvious that we copied off each other. And that's kind of what it reminds me of Governor Whitmer and Joe Biden. Like she kind of copied off him with the theme of unity, wanting to work together, a call for unity to face all the problem or to, to, to tackle all the problems that we're facing. Um, I didn't think it was all that great. Uh, she did talk about fixing the roads. She's back to this again. Um, of course, she has to be, as I as I told you a few weeks ago. Um, she is not going to be in full-time campaign mode, but she's starting her campaign for re-election. She's got some things that she has to get done, and she has to get them done this year because next year, they're going to be there's going to be partisan gridlock. The Republicans are not going to be eager to work with the governor and give her a bunch of legislative achievements that she can run on and say, look at all the things I got passed, especially with the Republican legislature. That's why you need me for four more years, because I can get so much done. So this year is the only year that she's really going to be able to get a lot accomplished. So she's back to about the roads and clean water and this kind of stuff. And harping about how the Republicans won't work with her. Um, that'll be her out. I mean, she's already leaving herself an out. This is something politicians do quite often when you have the opposite party controlling the legislature or in the federal level of the Congress. Because she can run against them. Like, she, she hopes that she can get this stuff done. But if she doesn't, then she can say, the Republicans, I wanted to get this done. I couldn't get it done because the Republicans wouldn't let me. So that's why you can't blame me for not getting much accomplished. That's why you need to elect me to a second term. But this time, you need to bring in a Democratic legislature for me to work with because we can get all these things done if I just had help in Lansing. So it's kind of, in her, in her, in her mind, it's a win-win situation. She can either get this stuff done and then be able to say, look at all the things I got done with a Republican legislature. Or if she doesn't get anything done, she can blame it on the legislature. They stopped me at every turn. They blocked me. I wasn't able to get any of my agenda enacted. 
that's why I need another chance, but I need a chance with people who will work with me. You know, so um, it's just a, it's an old game politicians play uh, to be able to ride both sides of the fence. And uh, I mean, it, 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 it sometimes it works. Uh, Barack Obama did that in the mid, uh, when he ran for reelection and he won, he ran against the Republicans saying that they, they didn't allow him to do anything he wanted and he wasn't able to get anything done. Um, but it doesn't always work. I mean, um, it could be argued. I mean, there were a lot of factors that led to Donald Trump losing, but, but he ran a little bit on that as well, that, that even though, uh, the, the Republicans controlled the Senate, he did run a little bit on the obstructionists in the house and how he couldn't get his agenda passed. And that's why we needed, he needed Republicans to take over the house and all that and to retain the Senate. But it doesn't always work. And um, uh, off the top of my head, I couldn't even give you a number. If I thought about it, did a little research, I could figure out, you know, how often it works and how often it doesn't. But um, but it just off the top of my head, what I'm thinking, uh, the last several presidents, it has worked. Um, it worked with Bill Clinton. He had a Republican Congress when he ran for reelection. George W. Bush had a Democratic Congress when he ran for re-election, and Barack Obama had a Republican Congress when he ran. And all three of them ran on the, um, I can't get any of my agenda passed because of the Congress. Now, I'm sure there were other reasons why they got elected. I'm sure they didn't get elected just on that, but I'm just saying it's it's something that politicians have used as far back as I can remember. They run on, they run against the Congress. They, there, there, there's a saying that one of the worst things that could happen for a, a president or a governor is to get a Congress of their own party. I mean, it sounds ridiculous. You think that'd be a great thing, but the problem is with that is that you own all the problems. So if opioid addictions are up, well, you have the House and the Senate why, and the governor, governorship or the presidency. Why didn't you do anything to stop it? You know, um, you get the blame for everything because – with the House and Senate, the, the public doesn't give you the benefit of the doubt because you had the whole Congress and you could have passed anything you wanted. There was no obstruction, so they blame you. So it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous uh, 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 a dangerous um, whatever you know you know what I'm saying. Uh, it's a dangerous position to take because you, you just never know how the public's going to react to. Uh, you blame in the Congress. But anyway, that's what she's setting up. So we'll see what ideas she implements here. But I think she's in for a tough road. I'm not, I have no idea of predicting next year's election as to whether she'll win or not, because so much can happen. Even if she's doing, going high in the ratings right now or in the polls, they could plummet by next year. And if her polls are in the basement right now, they could go up. I mean, there's there's just any number of things. It's just way too hard to predict what is going to happen. But uh, so we'll have to wait and see. But I do think that the Republicans aren't going to give a whole lot in the next two years. I just she hasn't really worked well with them yet. I can't imagine that now suddenly she's getting ready to go into reelection mode and they're getting ready to nominate a Republican to run against her. They're suddenly going to say, "Hey, yeah, let's all work together and and um, and help the governor." I, I just don't. 
See, and I know that's a little cynical because you'd think that their job is to help the people of Michigan. But sometimes politics trumps um, statesmanship, you know. Sometimes they're willing, and not about the big things. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to let people, you know, starve to death or, or anything just to keep the governor from being reelected. But it does happen sometimes. Uh, Republicans don't, that I can think of, don't typically do that. Although I can think of a number of instances where the Democrats, um, for example, withheld the, uh, the federal Democrats withheld, you know, any any payments to help out people until after the election because they didn't want Trump to get credit. You know, so there are there are cases where the Democrats will do it. Um, I'm sure if I thought I could remember sometimes Republicans have done it too, but I'm I'm just saying I I just don't see them working together in harmony. And. Again, it's always interesting that now that she's getting ready to run for re-election, that she suddenly wants us all to work together. She wasn't that interested in working together um, prior to that, especially when Donald Trump was president. She um, did not want unity. I, I don't know. That's, that's a little rant. So I'm not going to get on. I've learned my lesson about getting off on these rants, but it really does bother me that um, the crisis that we were uh, – Facing, I mean, we still face crises, but the media has really dropped the crisis now that the election is over and now that the inauguration is over. Um, suddenly, things are, yeah, they're urgent. There are issues that they've talked about that Joe Biden needs to take up, but it's not quite the crisis that it was before when Donald Trump was president. Um, they're spending a lot of time talking about the ridiculous things. Like this, this is what I knew was I knew this was going to happen. I've, I've, you know, I've talked about it with some of my friends before. I, I knew this was going to happen. As soon as Joe Biden took office, suddenly now, the press, which was rabid, and held Trump accountable about everything. Even I'm not even I'm going to ignore all the things that they lied about. I'm just talking about just an average. I mean, they watched every move that anybody in the Trump administration made and made sure to use a bullhorn to tell everybody about what's going on have now suddenly settled back into nap time under Joe Biden. I mean, I saw a story the other day about Kamala Harris and this groundbreaking story about what kind of shoes that she wears and, and why. And, I've seen countless stories about Joe Biden's dogs coming to Washington and these dogs. And I think it's major and champ, I think is the name. And I only know this because I've seen it so many times on my headlines as I'm going scrolling down and, you know, about how they're relating to Washington, how they're, you know, all oh, this is so wonderful. The, the first dogs are in Washington, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And like, are you, are you kidding me? I, I, this is what we're going to be subjected to is all these fluff stories about exactly how great Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are and why they're so phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't like it at all. I've never liked it. I didn't like it under Obama. I don't like it now under Biden. Um, 
it's just it's just plain lunacy. Uh, here's something that I thought was interesting. It's a quote from Dr. Fauci from March of 2020. Uh, it says, um, and I, I, I think this is from 60 Minutes, but I, I can't tell. But it says, when you're in the middle of an outbreak, this is Dr. Fauci. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel better, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think it is. I just had another day. It's in my timeline, and I thought, that is perfect. Once again, we're uh, we're just being lied to. I mean, I was I was hesitant to say that before, but now, and then the other day, I don't know if you guys saw this. The other day, they were saying on a number of stations, CNN among them, and I've seen it written in uh, in other magazines and newspapers that now they're saying that. We need three masks to keep us safe. This is just uh, piggybacking off of what Dr. Fauci said. The masks aren't actually providing any protection. But now they're saying that one mask is pointless. You need to have three masks in order to keep you safe from coronavirus. This is, it's just an absolute lie. They're just lying to us now. They're just playing games with us. Just seeing what they can get away with. It's all about control. They don't have any interest in actually solving this crisis if it is indeed a crisis. I mean, that's debatable. Whether or not these numbers are being fudged, whether or not um, uh, uh, whether or not this is really wide, as widespread, whether people are dying of it, I don't know. I, I'm not going to get into that right now. That's a whole different show. But they're playing games with us about it. Um, you know, the lockdowns, the, you, you can't drink alcohol. I mean, what, I mean, again, I'm not a big drinker, but I'm just, you know, I, but I'm just saying, I don't see the correlation between buying alcohol and having the coronavirus, you know, um, and this isn't here in Michigan, but this is in, uh, New York and California. And uh, there was uh, a couple places in Pennsylvania that, that passed a resolution saying that you can't purchase alcohol because of the coronavirus. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't understand it a bit. Um, it just seems to me it's about control. Like that's all they're trying to do is just control people and throughout this, these scare tactics every once in a while when people start to rebel as in California, which is good on these people, they started a recall peti petition to get rid of the governor over there, which is brilliant. Of course, uh, anybody who's followed California politics will know that Governor Gray Davis about now 10, 15 years ago, I guess, was recalled successfully. And that's how um, Arnold Schwarzenegger got elected governor is because he ran after the previous governor, Gray Davis, was recalled. So there is actually uh, a precedent in California of having recalled their governors. So that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, people, the, the, the masses are starting to rise up. They're starting to get annoyed with this. We're starting to see it around the world in the Netherlands. There are protests, um, uh, a little violent at times. Um, I don't like violent protests, but I'm just saying that there is protests going on in the Netherlands where they're saying we're tired of the lockdowns, we're tired of the government control. Um, in Russia, there are dueling um, protests. There's one about 
um, this guy, and I, I can't remember his name, but um, he's been an opposition leader to Putin for a while, and he was poisoned, and many people think that Putin was behind his poisoning and all this, and there's protests about that, and he was just arrested recently. Um, but there's also a number, a very large protests against the coronavirus in England. There aren't uprisings, but there is a lot of anger. And the prime minister of England is is really having to try to save his job. He's going around the UK trying to make the case that we need to do this longer. Please stay with us. In France, there are protests. I mean, we're starting to see protests break out around the world. And there is, I'm sure there is a fear in the United States that those protests will soon start coming to the United States as more people get angry about these lockdowns. So as soon as that started happening, now we're told that there's these new strains that are just worse than ever before. You know, uh, you know, this is scary. We need three masks because more people are dying uh, than ever before. You know, the numbers are worse. I, I just think it's a matter of control, trying to scare the people into submission because, you know, people have adapted to the fact that the coronavirus exists and now people aren't afraid anymore of the coronavirus. They're they're saying, I don't I'm willing to take the risk. Open up our schools, open up our businesses. Let's, you know, um, let's start getting things back to normal. It's no different than cancer or AIDS or the flu or and what I mean by that is um that people have come to accept those things exist in the world. We're not gonna hide away for our whole lives because these things exist. And so now they've got to pull something new, like, okay, okay, okay. Um, but uh, there's even a bigger uh, virus out there now. It's mutated. It's even bigger. You're going to need three masks now. You need to stay at home. You can't even, you know, I mean, I, I think it's just a matter of needing to re-scare the people. And again, I've seen this in other things, and I'm not going to go into that right now, but I've seen this over the years concerning some other um, events in our history. But um, I'll say that for another day because that, that's a whole different discussion. And if I just touch on it, then then it's going to leave a lot of unanswered questions that people are going to like, what is he trying to say there? And to explain it would take hours. And so I'm not even going to start if I can't finish it. But um, so anyway, that, that just popped into my head. Here is a... Um, when you're when you're arguing with somebody, and I, I use the term loosely when I say arguing, I don't mean screaming or anything like that. But I want to. I found this the other day, and I wanted to. Uh, I thought this was really good about arguments and how to see uh, first any arguments that you might make that are fallacious, or if somebody else is trying to use a red herring to throw you off an argument, you can see these. There are. Um, Five, five different types of arguments that um, that you're going to hear. So listen carefully for these because these are dangerous. You don't want to get down these rabbit holes. You don't want to do it because it's not um, it, it it's not conducive to your argument. It doesn't add anything. And if somebody else does it, it gets it takes you off the topic, and you end up defending things that you don't need to defend. The first one is the ad hominem. Uh, um, and that, uh, I don't know, uh, argument, ad hominem, I guess. Um, 
but it's a Latin word for to the man. And this is where a person attempts to discredit an opponent by attacking the person instead of the argument. An example of this would be somebody who says to you, what would you know about labor laws? You don't even have a job. So now they've attacked you personally. You don't have a job. Now you've got, now as humans, we feel the need to justify why I don't have a job instead of talking about the problem with the labor laws or whatever the argument is about the labor laws. We're now defending why I don't have a job. And so be careful of that. Those are very common. Those are very, very common where you attack the person and not the policy or the whatever it is you're debating. Now, you'll see this a lot of times in politics um, because the opponents will attack each other with this one. Um, the other one, another one is called the faulty cause. And that's where you substitute association for causation. Um, I don't know how to put that in English terms. I mean, it's English, but, but, okay. So here would be an example of this. <coughs> Many women claim to be pacifists, but before women got the vote, there were no nuclear weapons. Okay. So they're substituting association for uh, a result. So here they're taking the fact that women claim to be pacifists, according to this argument, and then saying, but that can't be true that women are pacifists because once women got the right to vote, we, st we went to World War II and dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, and now we have nuclear weapons, and our world is a dangerous place. So therefore, women aren't pacifists because, because of this. Well, the two really have nothing to do with each other. Um, so that's not as common. I don't hear that one as much. But it is an argument that you might hear out there. The third one is the false dilemma. This one's another one that's very common. It's presenting only two possible alternatives to a complex situation when in fact there are many more. So an example of this would be, you don't support our troops, therefore that makes you a traitor. Well, you can you cannot support um, a war, but that doesn't make you a traitor. You know what I mean? Like, like for example, I'll give you an example of my own life. I support our troops. I don't think we should be at war in a lot of the places that we are. I don't agree with the civilian leadership that sends our troops to war. But that doesn't mean that I'm a traitor just because I'm not pro-war. And that there are many alternatives. It's a very complex situation about war. Just because you don't support a war doesn't mean you want our troops to die. It doesn't mean that you think our troops should be taken hostage and murdered because who cares? They're at war. I mean, there are many different um, alternatives to a complex situation. And, but this is just making a very generic statement. And, and we see this in politics a lot um, on, on both sides. On both sides, we make that argument. They'll say, um, yeah, um, I mean, there's any number of things, but you can claim the Republicans uh, believe this, so therefore that makes you, oh, well, we say recently, um, if you support Donald Trump, then that makes you a racist. Or you support, you voted for Donald Trump, that means that you support the insurrection at the Capitol, as they're calling it. 
Well, there are many reasons why you might support Trump. It doesn't mean because you support Trump, you support uh, insurrection. It doesn't mean that you support racism. It doesn't, you know. Um, there are many reasons why a person might support Donald Trump. It might have not have anything to do with um, him calling people names or insurrections or, you know, uh, you know, racist or sexist statements. You know, and, and Republicans do the same to Democrats as well. Uh, there also is the guilt by association. That's number four. That's the attempt to discredit an opponent by associating their argument with an undesirable idea or a person. Um, this one is, you see this one a lot, and I saw this one a lot during the Trump administration by Democrats, which was um, Trump wants to deport illegal immigrants. Well, you know who else wanted to deport people? Adolf Hitler. Therefore, if you support Trump, you're supporting Hitler. That kind of goes back to the false dilemma, but it's also guilt by association. Donald Trump wanting to deport illegal aliens is not the same as Adolf Hitler wanting to exterminate Jewish people. But they, they say, well, it's the same tactic that Trump used. He dehumanizes people. He does this. And that's what Hitler did. So therefore, if you support that, that's the same as Hitler, as what Hitler did, or whatever. Um, it's a dangerous one, the guilt by association. Um, you get that also with Christianity. You get that a lot, you know. Um, oh, you're a Christian? Weren't the, uh, you know, weren't, weren't, the, weren't the Crusades when they murdered Muslims, Christians too? So therefore, you're just as bad as the as the crusaders um you know or, or something like that you know i mean there's just a lot of this guilt by association um and then there's the loaded question uh and that is a question which limits the range of discourse by containing a controversial or unjustified assumption um and the, the example they give to this one is in your opinion what makes the iphone the best smartphone available and this is a loaded question you get it a lot in these um, polls that you take, like if they call you and want you, um, you know, in your, in your opinion, why is Donald Trump the best president that ever walked the earth? Well, you know, it's a very loaded question. You're, that's already assuming that the person believes that Donald Trump is the greatest president that ever walked the earth. How do you, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's very leading. Of course, it's usually not that obvious, but, but they're very leading in how they word the questions. And you see this a lot, um, honestly, with Democrats or the Democratic media will do that a lot with Democrats, you know. Um, why was Barack Obama such a great president? You know, the Alaska Democrat. Um, well, I, you know, you, they've already framed the question that Barack Obama was a great president. So, you know, you, you kind of have to go you know, they, they're kind of assuming that you're just going to follow. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why I think he was a, a good president or, you know, or whatever. But even though you might not agree with the premise, you just still give your opinion. And it seems as if you're agreeing that, yes, he was the best president ever or whatever. Um, so anyway, I really liked those because I don't know which of those I do. I would say of all of those. I probably do the ad hominem, hominem attack most 
I don't like to admit that, but if I really get in an argument with somebody, I probably would go for the jugular and find something about them to attack. I don't, I'm not proud of that. I, I, I need to work on that. But if I'm, I probably would resort to that if, if I get really frustrated with a person who's just not thinking. And it's almost like I think, well, what's the point in arguing with them about anything logical if they're not even, if they're just stupid? And that usually what I'll end up saying is I'll probably say something like that. Like, well, there's no point even discussing with you because you're an absolute idiot. You know, now I've just attacked the person. You know, um, I, I think that's probably the one that I would do both the most. I don't think the other ones, the other one might be a loaded question, but the loaded question would only be, it would be an unconscious bias that it's just something that I believe to be true. And I don't realize that I'm framing it that way. Um, you know, but anyway, there's, uh, we're about out of time. I just thought I'd bring those up real quick. Um, so I came across it and I thought it might be helpful, but, uh, so, um, there's been a lot of executive orders that Biden's been putting out. I haven't been able to sit down and get them all. I don't agree with the ruling by executive order. I didn't agree with it when Obama did it. I didn't agree with it when Trump did it. I don't agree with it now. Uh, I don't want people to think that I was perfectly fine with Trump doing it. I understand why presidents do it, but I just don't, I don't think that's how our system is set up. But I haven't had a chance yet to go through all of Biden's executive orders one by one and see what he's actually doing. I'm hearing a lot of feedback from other people claiming that he signed this executive order. He did that. He did this, you know, some praising him, some are scared of the executive orders. I really have not done the research myself. I'm hoping to have that for next week so we can really dig into some of these executive orders and seeing what the governor is planning on doing. Um, by next week, our restaurants at least will be open up 25% capacity. So we'll be able to talk about some of that. So anyway, let's just um, keep a good thought. And I hope you guys have an absolutely amazing week. And I will see you, or no, I will talk to you next week. All right, bye everyone.